Welcome to another episode of the CC Podcast Conversations, where inspiring Christians share their faith-filled stories. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. This helps push our content to a broader audience. Are you new to listening? Check out our other podcasts. First, the CC Podcast Daily Dose Devotions, where we're walking through the Bible, focusing on short clips of Scripture. Second is the CC Broadcast, where our weekly radio programming is archived. These podcasts are available wherever you're listening or at christiancrusaders.org. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. Here's our host, Matt Reister, the Executive Director of Christian Crusaders. Hey everybody, Matt Reister, CC Podcast Conversations, finishing up our NRB stint. We've got an interview right now with Mabel Ninen, who is originally from India. I'm trying to remember exactly where. Do you remember? No. Um, she says it in the interview. Uh, yes, yeah, she does. Um, and and she talks she talks a little bit about but Hyderabad. Hyderabad. Okay. Yep. 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 Okay. Excellent. Yeah, it's huge town. So Mabel uh, got married to an Indian guy, uh, and they moved to the states for his job. And she's written a book that basically talks about what it's like to be an immigrant or a foreigner and likens that to what it's like for a follower of Christ to be an immigrant or a foreigner, because we're just passing through here. The earth is not our home. And And this is not our culture. That's right. And so there's a lot that we can draw uh, parallels with, especially from her perspective, being an Indian, moving to America, experiencing some of the funkiness of that. Absolutely. And uh, you, you knew Mabel before I did. Yeah. Well, knew. Yeah. she she was a, a NRB friend. Let's say that. Um, yeah. yeah. So she had come up uh, at first. I think she was probably attracted by our fabulous foam microphones. Yes. Uh, we were legendary at the conference for those. Those so. were a hit. You oh, know what man. my wife told me? What's that? My wife said the reason those microphones were such a hit is because no one else is willing to go to the trouble that we went to yes. to get them there and to put them on the table and That's get the stickers true. on them. That's a, well, and I think too they were like they were goofy cartoon enough because they were. Quite obvious. I mean, I, th- I think if, if it was like looked like an actual podcast microphone, like it would have lost some of its appeal. The fact that it was kind of like cartoonish, goofy shaped, and all that, and then you know, kids were taking them and interviewing people. There were big fluffy mascots like wearing big costumes or whatever. Yeah, I I I got I shoved a microphone in their hand, so they were walking around interviewing people with our microphones. So I love it. Yeah. Anyway, back to the back to Mabel. Mabel. Uh, so so Mabel would come up and she was just chatting with us. You know, people walk around the 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 exhibit hall there, and she was chatting and and um. And so uh, she was talking, she talked to Jen, I think once, and then, uh, and later had was kind of walking around and I was kind of just out in front and, and struck up a conversation with her. And, uh, she started talking about a book and <clears throat> we had a lot of people at, at NRB who wanted to, to come on the podcast at, just to talk about a book. And, and it's not that that like immediately disqualifies somebody because there are a lot of good books out there, but we're also not doing this podcast just to promote people's books. Right. Like that's not, right. that's not the purpose of, of, you know, this podcast. Um, so it's not that a red flag went up, but, but this was a, this was probably about the, the 15th time somebody had mentioned their book. And so I, I, you know, some yellow flags, let's say, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. they go up for sure. Uh, but then, it, you know, Mabel tells her story and, and, you know, described kind of what her book was about. And I thought, oh, that's really cool. And then she starts talking about, too, that she does a podcast of her own where she interviews uh, people like that. And it really just became clear that this was not uh, this was not about her pushing her book so that she could, you know, make profits and, and do all those things. This was really um, 
helping, you know, uh, uh, this was a glorifying God. This was a, it was an interesting story, an inspiring story from an interesting. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. And it was, it was, it was one of those where it was clear God had called Mabel to do something. She was following through doing it. She was touching people's lives and doing so. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and then I was thinking, you know, my thought process was if we can get her on here, maybe that would, uh, also likewise inspire other people to, to kind of examine what God's doing in their life. She was persistent. She stuck around and made herself available even up to the, till the 11th hour. Yeah. And so I'm really thankful that we got to have this conversation. Yes. One thing that we drilled down on quite a bit, you know, given the, the entire time frame of the interview, we spent a lot of time on race, Yeah. which was really good conversation that, you know, that's such a hot button right now. And you almost are scared to even bring it up because right. of how you know much of a lightning rod it is but you were remembering one of the main yeah. points that she was making well and and I, let me just say to you that i love that we brought it up or lo- i love that she brought it up and that that we got to talk about it because so often um you know hot button issue we we see that as a reason not to talk about things that should as christians we should see that as a reason to talk about things because if if we're just letting sort of the secular narrative of something rule um, and and not examining it through a, a Christian lens of what God's expecting. Yeah, uh, you we're losing battles, and and so um, I love that she brought that up. But she, yeah, she made the point that that whether it's race or or even you know other sort of ways of identifying, right, or gender and and affluence and and all of that, those things all become secondary. Uh, when we when we take on an identity in Christ, far that, secondary. That that yes yes uh, that that who we are first is is God's child. Is there we're, we're Christians first. Yep. Um, and and only minorly all those other things. And, yeah. And that that the only label that really counts is is that of being a child of God. So um, I, I love that attitude. I love that perspective. And and I thought that that was a, a great tie in to sort of everything else that she was talking about in her book. I think people are going to love this interview. Her book's not out yet, not till later this summer, but you'll know about it and you want to keep your eye open for it. Yep. And uh, thanks to Mabel Ninen for making time for us. We'll have her, her website. Uh, she's got an author website. We'll have that in the show notes so people can keep track of, of when that book does come out. Enjoy the interview. Come back for more. Thanks for tuning in. everybody. Matt Reister here with the CC Podcast Conversations. I am with Mabel Ninen. Am I saying it right? Yes, that's right. A native from the great country of India, yes. Southeast Asia. <laughs> and here we are in Nashville, Tennessee. How'd you get here, Mabel? Oh, I got married in 2008 and my husband had to move here for work. And so I followed him here. <laughs> Amazing. And you've got one son. Yes. What's I- his name? His name's Ryan. He's 10 years old. 10 years old. And you're living in San Jose, California right now. Yes, that's but, right. But you've kind of been all over the place. I've lived in 10 homes and seven cities in the past 13 years. Wow. <laughs> Is that all stateside? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And then tell me a little bit about growing up in India. Well, I grew up Christian. And that by itself, I feel, is God's grace and his providence because only less than 5% of Indians are Christians. So God put me in a Christian family. Um, And I came to know Jesus through my mother who was on fire for God. Wow. Um, I went to a small 
Methodist Church, mm -hmm. uh, which was local in every sense of the word because all of us lived within a radius of two or three miles. Mm -hmm. And so that became a real community. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, yeah, I was raised Christian. And um, during my teenage and 20, in my 20s, of course, I did go through a time where, you know, my, my faith was tested. But I always knew that God had the answers. So yeah. he, after every kind of trial, he, he brought me back to himself. Yeah. <laughs> what would you say? You said less than 5% of Indians are Christian. What would you say if I said, I think less than 5% of Americans are Christian? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? I, I know what you mean, you know, by just being Christian by name and because yeah. culturally you believe that right. you're a Christian. Or you were just born into a Christian family. But that's a, it's a totally different environment in India. The two biggest religions are Hinduism and Islam. Yes. And is Buddhism much in India? Buddhism is also one of the minority religions. So Islam would be the largest minority. And then um, I think Christians and Buddhists and Zoroastrians and yeah. Sikh, uh, Sikhism is also yeah. a minority religion. Where did you grow up in India? In Hyderabad, which is in the south of India, and Hyderabad itself is about 30% Muslim. Okay. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. So you have a inspiring, we call them sovereign foundation. Like the Lord sovereignly put you in a Christian family Yes. against all odds, really, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So you moved to the States after you get married to your Indian husband. Mm -hmm. You said that you honeymooned in Srinagar. Yeah. I have a sister adopted from India. She's from the northern part. What's up in Srinagar that's worth going to see for a honeymoon? Oh, Kashmir. You know, Jammu and Kashmir. I joke with my wife, like, the honey who cares what the scenery is out there? <laughs> We're going to stay in here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Srinagar is beautiful. Uh, Gulmarg is one place. So that's like, you know, the crown of India. And wow. I haven't yet seen a place as beautiful as uh, uh, Srinagar. So, yeah, it's an awesome place. And so... Uh, um, nice to know that your sister is from Srinagar. Yeah, yep. It's uh, she'll she'll be interested to hear this, and uh, meet you through the podcast. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, you wrote a book called Far From Home, and tell us the story that led to you writing that book. What what inspired this book? Um, no, as I just said, you know, when I moved from India to America, I had to deal with a lot of change and uncertainty. And it affected me in, in many ways. Emotionally, it was a struggle. And this came as a surprise to me. But even spiritually, I struggled. I, I thought I had a strong foundation in Christ and all of that. But being an immigrant, being a nobody, uh, moving from you know being part of the majority to suddenly becoming a minority, all those things kind of, um, I would say, just left me feeling joyless yeah um, and, I, and I struggled even in my faith my faith was tested and and after a few years I started to do this Bible study with a, with a group of women and really spending more time with God because I was after I became a mom especially I hit rock bottom and I felt very isolated I felt like what is my purpose and and I realized that God was using my trials and my situations to draw me closer to Him. You know, He made me realize that um, 
my desire for belonging, my, my desire for rootedness, actually was a shadow of what we all feel um, as strangers on earth, as foreigners on earth. Yeah. yeah. And so that, I thought that that was a message uh, that God put on my heart to share with the church so that we look at ourselves as immigrants on earth and after the fall we've become exiles we feel separated you know uh, from god and he's given us that god-shaped hole in our lives which only he can fulfill yes and we look for him in worldly things yes but they're not gonna satisfy us they're gonna fail us and um finding our identity in Christ and seeing ourselves as foreigners on earth and ambassadors of Christ is what is going to help us really live with purpose and meaning. So I wanted to get that message out. And that was the inspiration behind the book. Because you had kind of a unique perspective on being a foreigner in a foreign land. Yes, absolutely. And feeling like you don't fit. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yes. And right. we as Christians, as we talked about before, are foreigners mm-hmm. in a foreign land. This is not our home. Absolutely. And so we feel like we don't fit in. Yes. Would you say, if we feel too much like we fit in here, mm-hmm. isn't that an indictment on how serious we are about Christ? Like, if I'm serious about Christ, I shouldn't fit in that well, should I? <laughs> I agree. And, you know, I think God used my journey and my struggles exactly to tell me that. Uh, now, in India, I was comfortable, maybe because I had all, you know, my community. I had uh, friends, and I didn't realize that, but I was holding on to all of those things. But when all that was stripped away, mm-hmm. was Jesus enough for me? That's the question that stared me at the face. And um, I realized, after going through all of that, that when Jesus is when I can get to that place where I can say Jesus is more than enough and I'm in love with him and I'm secure in him, that's when this world doesn't feel like it's home. Yeah. I know I'm made for eternity, made for something bigger. Yep. Not just that. It's just that following Jesus and following his countercultural values yeah. just put put me at odds with the culture of the world. Yeah. So it doesn't matter whether I'm, whether I'm part of India, Indian culture or American culture. You know, our my culture is the culture of God's kingdom. And that is going to always be at odds with any culture of the world. Yes. That's powerful. You and I when we were standing at the table before this, we talked a little bit about race. Mhm. And race is a front and center issue right now, a very hot button issue. Mm-hmm. How, how does the things that we're talking about here, the things that are in your book, yeah. relate to the issue of race? Now, like I said, I had never thought about race earlier because I was one of the brown people, one of the billion <laughs> brown people in India. Yeah. So um, I never thought, you know, how I looked and all of that. But when I came to America and I started to live as a minority, Suddenly, I started thinking about all these things. Mm. Um, and for a while there, I started struggling with my identity. Like, who am I? You know, I'm uh, not just nationality-wise, but even race-wise. And um, God showed me that 
because he created me, he knit me together in my mother's womb, the psalmist says. And so my cut, the color of my skin, my hair, everything has been given to me by him. Amen. And even the family that he's placed me in, it, it's all, you know, according to his sovereignty. Yes. So my ethnicity, my race, my nationality, or uh, all of that has been given to me by God. But my identity, I came to realize, has to be rooted in the Creator who gave me all these things. Yes. And not all the other things that He's given me. That's very well said. Yeah. So I began to see myself through God's eyes and not through the eyes of others. Because when I started to see myself through the eyes of others, I was wondering, you know, okay, the majority are, you know, people here are white and I'm brown and I wonder what they're thinking of me yeah. rather than, you know, God says, I'm loved, I'm chosen, I'm beautiful, I'm a um, holy priest, I'm his chosen one. And believing what God says about me and seeing myself through his eyes became more important than seeing myself through others' eyes. And I do believe that, of course, my race plays a very important role in who I am yes. because it's been given by God. I appreciate it, I value it, but I also see it as one of the many parts of me yes. that God has given me. Even my skills, my talents, my gifts, mm -hmm. my experiences, all these come together um, to kind of help me fulfill the purpose that God has, um, God has for me, God has planned for me. Yeah. Um, we're getting so much messaging from the culture that our primary identity should be our gender. And there's like 75 now, supposedly. <laughs> I mean, it's just crazy. Yep. Or our primary identity should be our race. Mm -hmm. um, and what you're suggesting is that our primary identity is the fact that we're made in the image of God. Yes. And those of us who have faith in Christ mm -hmm. are his sons and daughters. Yes. And you said earlier when we were talking before we recorded that when you have your identity rooted in who God says you are, yeah, that doesn't mean that the other things that are characteristics in your life aren't important. Mm -hmm. It actually frees you up to fully live into those things. Yeah provided that they're viewed as subordinate mm -hmm. to who God says you are, yes. to your primary identity. Yeah. Say more about that. Absolutely. I mean, you summed it up so well. Um, and I'd like us to go back to the story of Moses. Yeah. Uh, so Moses was a Hebrew, but raised um, in an Egyptian household. He was Egyptian royalty. Uh, but then, and we don't know exactly how it happened, but he started to identify more with his Hebrew brothers and sisters, mm -hmm. uh, maybe because his, um, uh, the wet nurse was his own mom. Mm -hmm. We don't know. But he started identifying so much with his Hebrew brothers and sisters that when he saw that it drove him to take action, right? when he saw um, someone you know, beating up a Hebrew slave, he went to his defense. And of course, it was a wrong move to murder. But that led him down another path where he fled as a political, uh, uh, a fugitive, sorry, a fugitive to another land. Midian was again completely foreign to him. Um, he marries a woman, he gives birth, now he's even having a family. 
um, Exodus 2.22 says that Zipporah gave birth to a son. They named him Gershom, saying, I am a foreigner in a foreign land. Now, the Bible doesn't explain much, but from that verse, I'm guessing, you know, and put and this is again looking through the lens of me being an immigrant, yeah. but he may have still felt foreign, like not knowing where I fit in. Am I Egyptian? Am I a Hebrew man? And what am I doing in Midian? But then God calls him through the burning bush experience mm-hmm. to be a leader to free the Israelites out of bondage. So when we look at it, we'll zoom back and look at it. His identity and calling are actually two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. Because uh, all the factors that made up his identity kind of helped him forge ahead and fulfill that purpose that God had for him in his life. And so when he stepped into his identity as a God-appointed leader, he was able to live with purpose. So I'm saying that um, finding, of course, race is an important part of our identity yep our nationality is an important part of our identity but they cannot become idols because yes. when adversity comes knocking on our door when our you know faith is tested what will actually help us overcome adversity what will help us live with purpose and joy is our identity in christ and all these things our race and our uh our skills, our experiences kind of give us a unique spiritual DNA to impact God's kingdom in a way that only we can. Yes. It's like you've been specifically made to play a role in the body of Christ Mm -hmm. and all these different ingredients are part of that mix that makes you completely unique on the face of the earth. Yes, absolutely. To do things that God has decided to do only through and with you. Absolutely. Which is powerful. Yeah. I mean, you want to have purpose and confidence. There it is right there. Like there's only one. I, there's, there are things that only I can do yes. that, that God has designed me for. Um, I was going to ask another question and it's escaped me. But another question I was going to ask that I didn't want to get to yet, but I'm going to jump into right now. You talk about being an immigrant. Now, this is another word that's kind of a hot button word right now. And, and you're talking about immigration and being an immigrant in a totally different context or way that we're hearing about it on the news or in political ads or debates all the time. Um, Let's talk about that at all. Sure. I mean, technically, the word immigrant means anyone who's lived outside their country, uh, moved from their home country and is living outside for more than six months. Mm -hmm. So whether you're a foreign student or you move as a refugee, uh, you're seeking asylum, you're an asylee, Um, or you're an expat, you're living because of work in another country for more than six months or a year, you're an immigrant. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think it has become a term to be feared and that breaks my heart because, um, I mean, it's it's taken on negative connotations, that's what I'm saying. Uh, It breaks my heart because as Christians, no matter which country we are from, the Bible encourages encourages us to show kindness to foreigners. Yep. In fact, in Leviticus, God says to the Israelites, love the foreigner as you love yourself. Yeah. Remember, you were once foreigners in Egypt. Yeah. And so be kind to the foreigner. Yeah. And the Jews in, in the Mosaic law, they had so many stipulations. Yeah. To, to uh, help the Israelites practically be kind to the foreigner. Yeah. So I think... 
as Christians, that is the countercultural stance we can adopt, especially as Americans. Yep. I don't care what's going on politics and what the media is talking about. Yep. But my duty, my mandate as a Christian is to be kind to the foreigner. Yeah. And that doesn't mean just open the borders and don't check people at the borders and just, I mean, you can have laws. That's reasonable. Absolutely. But for the people who are here as mm-hmm. foreigners, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, treat them the way that God told the Israelites to treat foreigners. I mean, that should be yeah. common sense. One of the things through the conversations I've had with you is it seems like when you put Christ first, when you put God's view of your identity first, this other stuff, race, mm-hmm. how you treat foreigners, yeah. it just melts away. And, you know, we, we've had this extended race conversation in our country. And, you know, years ago, it used to be acceptable to say that I'm colorblind. Mm-hmm. I don't see color. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of a noble thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I'm, I'm above the differences of color. Well, now you can't say I'm colorblind because you're disregarding the individuality of each person. Yeah. Um, however you navigate all that, semant- I, think, I think it's semantics. Yeah. Um, the bottom line is, the Christian worldview, there's just no place. And, yeah. and I, can't, I can't, now, I don't know. I've, there are sociologists who would say that I have some latent racism, you know, below the surface. I'm, all of us are racist especially white men, you know, we're all racist. And uh, even if we can't identify it, or even if we don't know it, it's there. I, I don't think I'm racist. I mean, I, I'm not perfect. I'm sure that I judge people on the basis of external factors. I, I just don't think I do on skin color or ethnicity. Mm-hmm. I think some of that has to do with the fact that we had a multicultural family that I grew up in. I think some of, I don't know, the way I was raised. But the point is, you can take the culture's path of trying to not be racist and it ends up being kind of a band-aid or a superficial fix that isn't really a fix but when you know Christ and when you embrace God's view of your identity as primary Mm -hmm. that stuff just melts away like you don't even care like I don't care I don't care that you're Indian and I I don't I mean it's not like I, I think it's amazing or I think it's terrible. I just don't care. You know what I mean? You're my sister in Christ. You're doing whatever God told you to do. Yeah. We're talking right here. Great. We'll probably never see each other again. Maybe we will. I don't know. God bless you. God bless me. Let's go. You know, you know what I mean? Like it just fades way into the background. Yes. And I think that it also comes with a recognition that um, just like I bring my Indian flavor to my faith. Yeah. You bring your white American flavor to your faith. Yeah. And I don't stop you from doing that. The goal is not uniformity in God's kingdom. The I love goal that. is unity with diversity. Yes. So I'm not asking people to be um, colorblind, but see my color as something that God has given me and right. therefore respect that. And also that my color, my culture, Um, influences the way I worship, influences, you know, uh, the way I do community. Yep. And so you're not disregarding all of that, but we are seeing each person as someone um, whom God has given a unique ethnic imprint and that we are all working together 
for his kingdom, to impact his kingdom. I like what you said about unity and diversity, not uniformity. Yeah. Do, do you think there's a, I feel like there's a little bit of a, a battle cry, even within the Christian stream, that's calling for uniformity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do, you, do you feel that? Yes, I do. That all of us should be a certain way. But we cannot because we're all different. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. so we should worship. We should just blend all of our worship styles and make like one style that everyone can kind of put up with. Yeah. And we should all have our churches at about the same time that we agree. Not, not when I want to get up in the morning or you, but let's find a happy medium and, and, yeah. and everyone do the same thing. Um, and if you're not willing to do that, you're somehow discriminating yeah. or being superior or, yeah. but, but I've kind of, I mean, based on the things you're saying, that's not necessarily what we're called to do. Yes, absolutely. And in going back to the point of what you said, the sociologist says, I wouldn't say we are all inherently racist, but we do have a subconscious bias. Yes. Um, somewhere. And, and as Christians, you know, God, the Holy Spirit convicts us so that we recognize those and we confront those and we keep moving forward with yeah. getting away with all those biases. But like you said, um, th- that's absolutely right. Our goal is not to kind of like whitewash everything and have everything go according to a particular style. Because even in the Bible, we see that when the apostles went to different, uh, they traveled and visited different cities and different countries, mm-hmm. Paul, the way he uh, gave the gospel, he always contextualized it mm-hmm. because he realized that this is what the culture is dealing with and this is yes. the angle I should come at. And so um, he ministered in so many cross-cultural contexts and he shows us that how we can do the same. Now, like you rightly pointed out, if someone wants to, if I come to church in an Indian outfit, right, I shouldn't be looked down upon. Right. Because that's just part of who I am. But we can transcend those, uh, the things that we see and look at the things that are, we have in common but are unseen, which are mostly spiritual, that we have the one Father. Yes. One body of God and, you know, one baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yes. So we are one body that way. And those things are unseen. They are spiritual. Mm. What we see is, I think, maybe race or uh, how you look at and how, how the languages you speak, um, the clothes you wear. Mm-hmm. But God calls us. Those are important too. But let's our unity should transcend all yeah. of these seen things and see them as a brother and sister gifted to you mm-hmm. by Christ to walk alongside you. And I think what um, drives me to embrace diversity is that I know I'm going to heaven where all people, all nations and Every tribes tribe, are and going nation. to yeah. worship God. And Revelation, um, I forget the scripture, but it says that um, Jesus died and gave his blood. He is purchased with his blood all people from all nations, all tribes. Mm. So discrimination of any kind, it not only fractures the church, but it minimizes Christ's work on the cross. Yes. He gave his life so that everyone is saved and comes into the family of God. Yeah. It's like if we would spend time trying to address the racism problem 
which I mean, honestly, I don't think is as big of a problem as we're led to believe. I think that it's kind of ginned up by the media because the conflict sells. I think there's definitely racists and there's definitely people who feel ethnically superior. I don't think it's as widespread as we're led to believe. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but if we would, in attempt to fix that problem, teach people about who God is, who Jesus is, and the unity that we have in him, rather than treat the symptom, like mm-hmm. go, to some, go to some race or racial equality seminar, that's a symptom. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're, you're, you're fixing a symptom. Now, there's probably some things we can learn from that, whatever. But we ought to be focusing primarily and primarily teaching a biblical worldview where that other stuff just eventually, by the power of the Spirit in us, dissipates, yes. right? Absolutely. They need to go in tandem. I mean, if you have, you know what who you are in Christ and you know Christ's heart for diversity and you see people through God's eyes, yeah. and then even the, the steps that you will take practically to come alongside the minority, to uplift those who need help, mm-hmm. uh, and like Jesus, to give a voice to those who are in the margins, because uh, Jesus loved ministering to the poor, to the needy, the misfits. Mm-hmm. It was those people that he was drawn to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was a practical side of his ministry. So we can do that too, as long as we are motivated yeah. uh, for the right reasons. Now, even a lot of people who are not Christians also are big champions of diversity. Right. The difference is that we are, we, our motivation is different yeah. and we are doing it for a, a a reason that transcends their reasons. Yes. And we also know we are also eternally minded because yes. we know that that is our future uh, yes. in heaven. And so it's not completely, you know, uh, wrong or it's a waste of time to take practical steps to address uh, injustice or discrimination in any way, but to do it with the right intention as a Christian. Yes. And that's where you know, you, your book is far from home mm-hmm. and about feeling out of place yeah. in a foreign land or a foreign culture or a foreign world. Yes. Even in the realm of people trying to fix racism, mm-hmm. we don't fit in. Yeah. Because we're approaching it from a completely different angle. Absolutely. With a completely different purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's like I said, it's countercultural. Yeah. Because um, for the world, it, it means a, uh, the meaning is colored. It's different. It's a different meaning. It's a different purpose. They're heading towards something different. And like you said, they're fixing the symptoms. Yes. But we, as the church, have the answer, uh, and we have the hope that we can give them, and the reconciliation with Christ that we have as Christians um, is also you know the that kind of reconciliation that everyone is seeking in their hearts but they don't know how to find so you may find justice you may bring two people together from different races Mm -hmm. they can be good friends and you can be the bridge builder between them but they will really encounter you know a restored and redeemed life only when they are reconciled with god through christ amen um this has all led me to think of a question that I don't know if I should ask or not, but I'm gonna. And it's okay. a little bit of a rabbit trail from what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. 
but living in America as an Asian or mm -hmm. an Indian, and you see that most of the racial issue in America is presented as Caucasians versus African Americans. But you're over here like, hey, what about me? Like, I, you know, like, um, well, I've got a Korean brother and an Indian sister. It's kind of like, w w what happened to us? Do we, we never get treated in a discriminatory way? Or So what is your perspective on that in your unique position? I feel it's unfair to blame one race for all the problems of racism because it happens on all sides. Mm. Um, I can give you a, a short illustration. I think we had gone with my cousins were visiting from India and we had gone to the Getty Museum in LA or someplace. And uh, my nephew, small child, he's just playing there. And um, an African woman, African American woman comes up to him and just angrily says, you should go back home, go back to where you came from. And so, you know, I'm not saying, you know, I don't know what her state of mind was, I don't want to judge, but I've had also instances in my son's school, which happens to be a Christian school, where he faced bullying from a, a Korean boy. Mm -hmm. So I think all of us have been tainted by sin. Mm -hmm, of course. So, you know, and I come from India where, believe it or not, um, I sometimes <laughs> say that we are, we are so racist because we, we judge people by their skin color a lot. We have so many different castes. So India's society is rooted in this caste system. And so every country has to deal with its own demons. And yes. no culture has been, uh, you know, free from racism or discrimination of any kind. But it, I would say it's unfair to just put it on one race and say you have, you're the reason why yeah. racism exists. Yeah. Um, now having said that, I know that in America, now I've been here 13 years, so I'm speaking as an outsider. I know that historically it yeah. has always been white and black because yeah. of the history of slavery and all that. And I think as Christians, um, our heart should always go towards those who are marginalized and who are discriminated, whichever race they are. And you should be aware of the time and the place that you live in and uh, contextualize your ministry to that. If I'm living in an area which has a heavy population of African-Americans and I see injustice, I step in. If I live in an area which is heavily Asian-American and I see something happening, God's love motivates me to help them. Yes. Yeah, that's how, that's my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And again, it's rooted in a biblical view. Yes. Because yeah. of who Jesus is. Yes, absolutely. And not some social construct, you know what I mean? Which yeah. is actually kind of paper thin and doesn't have a lot of weight. Yeah. I mean, yeah. social constructs come and go. Yeah. God's word is eternal. And even the way God created us to be, you know, diverse, um, if he didn't have a reason, he wouldn't create us that way. And now, you know, since my husband is, is a corporate guy, he gets training on diversity and he tells me, the workplaces are also recognizing that diversity is a good thing. It can be a 
a strength for a team. Yeah. Vis-a-vis a team that has no diversity. Yeah. And I feel that's something that the Bible already teaches you. Yes. <laughs> the body <laughs> with many parts, right? Yeah. I mean, which they are just learning now or they are seeing now, but the Bible already teaches all of this that yes. salvation is a great equalizer. Yeah. And that our unity, I mean, how do we find unity in the church if there's no diversity? Yeah. So, in fact, and diversity is kind of strengthens that unity that we have. Yes. So we have the answers that the world is looking for. Yeah. How can we be united even though we are diverse? Yeah. Well, you know, study the Bible and ask us. Amen. And we're not, you know, I know in this day and age, um, the, my heart is that the church should reflect what unity looks like. And very often we fail to do that, but that even Jesus, when he prays to God for his disciples, he says, Father, I pray that they should be one as you and I are one. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus wants that unity for the church. He wants us to be one. And so that people will know we are Christians by our love. Yes. So when they see Christians loving one another, embracing our diverse origins or whatever the world should look at us and say that's how yes. we ought to be i love what you said about diversity actually gives us the opportunity to show a stronger unity mm-hmm. if, if we're all uniform yeah. if you're exactly like me you believe all the stuff i believe i'm exactly like you you believe uh, i believe all the stuff you believe we all do the same thing we hang out with the same people we go to the same restaurants we yeah. have the same hobbies well, then it's very easy to understand why we would be unified. Yes. <laughs> but if we're very, very different, mm-hmm. if we eat at different restaurants, if we go to different churches, if we look different, if we dress different, if we are interested in different things, and we're very different, then that unity that we have in Christ is confounding. Yes, absolutely. And you know, Matt, it's not easy to do, but that's what we're called to do. Yeah. It's messy, it's inconvenient, it's uncomfortable. You know, to uh, and it, I'll be the first to tell you, it's not comfortable always to get along with someone who's very different from you. Yeah. But as Christians, if we, when we see that as our calling, we will take that step, even though it's difficult, because that's what love is. It's going to cost us. It's not easy. What do you think about this? I, I don't even know if I need to get along with them. But, but I, I could, I mean, I think I get along with you, but I could not get along with you. We might not have, we, we might not click well. We might not have great chemistry, but I could totally celebrate mm-hmm. what God's doing through you and be your biggest fan, even though we don't quote unquote, now we get along, yeah. but but isn't that unity? Absolutely, because Paul calls us co-workers, yeah. right? Uh, and, and we are fellow sojourners. And so maybe our paths cross just for a minute. Yeah. But like this, right? We are doing this interview. It helps your audience. It's going to help my audience. Yeah. And that's how we're impacting the kingdom. And then we'll be on our way. Yeah. And go Mabel. I mean, yeah. go get them. And go Matt. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anything else you want to say about Far From Home? Uh, that, uh, who, who would you say needs to read this book? Like, who, who is your audience? I would say anyone who's dealing with a lot of change and uncertainty, and it has shaken them to their core. Anyone who feels like they don't belong. Mm. Or maybe even someone who's just going through the motions of life as a Christian and, and feeling like there has to be more than this. Why don't I feel that joy and purpose? Yeah. And my message is that 
view your time here on earth as a journey. This is not your final destination. Yes. Just spend your time in what Jesus asked us to do, which is store up eternal treasures. Uh, and you can do that by investing in people, seeking, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Yes. Matthew 6. So Jesus calls us to spend our uh, time here on earth with a purpose, which is seeking him, investing in people, investing in righteousness. And um, that is what will ultimately satisfy you. You cannot go after false and fragile gods like, you know, your race, your racial identity, your, your gender. You can't uh, root your identity in your profession or uh, even maybe being a mom to me was, you know, for some time a big deal. But that also cannot be my main identity. Yes. When you see yourself, I'm here on earth for a short time. In yep. fact, I don't even know when I'm going to die. Yep. So I'm here for a short time. And God has put me here for a purpose. And that's, wanna, that's what I want to be busy doing. Just chase after God's heart and chase after that purpose. And that will make my time here worthwhile. So to see ourselves as foreigners on earth, not just that, to see ourselves as ambassadors. We are here representing the king, representing the God of the universe, and representing his values. And so we want to be here doing his purpose. And that is what will help you see change through a different lens. Yeah. See your suffering through a different lens. Because you know everything has a purpose. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, your destination is amazing. You're going to be with Jesus for the rest of eternity yeah. in heaven. Yeah. And so have your eyes on heaven and live your life. Make every moment here count because you are impacting eternity with what you do with your time here on earth. I love it. Um, this is a cultural uh, icon. You know Carrie Underwood, the singer? Yes. She's got a song. I think it's called Temporary Home. Um, have you ever heard it? No. It, it, this is your temporary home. It's not where you belong. Just windows and rooms that I'm passing through. And it's, a, it's not a Christian song, but it's the essence of what you're saying. You view yeah. this as a temporary home. Yes, absolutely. Uh, where can people get your book? Do you have a website? Yes, my website is mabelnynan.com. Yep. That's my name. And you can pre-order my book on Amazon. Oh, it's right not now. out yet. No, it's going to be out in July on July 12th. Oh, that's exciting. Published by Ironstream Media. Yeah, it's not out yet, but you can absolutely pre-order it. Cool. Do you have any other books in your mind? <laughs> I, I'm working on a devotional for Lent. Okay. Uh, a 40-day journey with Jesus. Well, you're um, late because Lent started already. I know, but, you know, <laughs> the book takes time. So it's yeah. just that the, I'm working on it. Um, thinking of other books so awesome. let's see what god has in plan mabel Ninen, m-a-b-e-l-n-i-n-a-n yes at dot com dot com perfect and you can sign up for my newsletter i do email uh, i call them inner circle members with a lot of freebies and devotions and articles twice a month and that cool. would be great hey thank you so much i'm glad that you came on our podcast. It's been a delight to learn your story and to discuss some of this stuff. And if the rest of the world would start to approach these things the way we, we do, I think we'd be in better shape. Amen. In the meantime, we'll just keep going. Yep, absolutely. Thank you, Matt. Thank yeah. you so much for having me. This was a blessing and an honor. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, Mabel. Mm -hmm. 
The CC Podcast Conversations is part of Christian Crusaders Radio and Internet Ministry, started in 1936 and is one of America's longest-running radio ministries. We are 100% donor-funded, and donations to our ministry are tax-deductible. So if you are encouraged, challenged, or inspired by today's conversation, please consider making a donation on our website, christiancrusaders.org, or mail a check to Christian Crusaders, 7401 University Avenue, Cedar Falls, Iowa, 50613. In addition to our other podcasts, which I mentioned at the front of this episode, I want to mention two of our other ministry partners worth checking out. First, the Cedar Falls Bible Conference, equipping believers with the truth of God's Word since 1922. Visit cedarfallsbibleconference.com for free access to previous conference content or for more information about upcoming events. Second is Power to Change Digital Strategies, an online ministry partnering volunteer Christian mentors with people around the world searching the internet for answers. If you or someone you know could benefit from an anonymous online conversation with a caring Christian adult, go to issuesiface.com. Or if you would like to be a volunteer Christian mentor, please visit p2cdigital.com. That's the letter P, the number two, and the letter C, digital.com. See our episode notes for details and links, and remember to subscribe, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. God's richest blessings to you, and thanks again for listening.